from Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. From Connecticut, I'm Erica Ducey. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jamal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. I'm back from vacation. <laughs> I mean, you guys did an okay job last week, but I'm glad <laughs> to be back holding it down as the third. I mean, I know the listeners miss me. You guys, it's okay. I'm back. You're welcome. I know you guys miss me, right? Well, we we need the uh, we need the New York Times approved formula. So yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. Oh. Yes, I mean for those that did not already see the paper of record, uh, we were listed <laughs> as as one of the one of the seven podcasts that you need to listen to if you're interested in the world of drinks. Uh, would have been cooler if they said we were the only. Just kidding. I like the other six too, uh, but it, but it was it was pretty it was a fun surprise yesterday. Um, and it'll be in print, I guess, on Sunday, which is the yesterday for those of you listening to the podcast today. So yeah, but uh, before we jump into to everything, you know, a word from this week's sponsor, guys. Hey, everyone out there, this is your last chance to enter to win a one thousand dollar cash stipend, and all you gotta do is make a cognac cocktail. That's right. Cognac USA, Speed Rack, and Vine Pair are thrilled to offer ten one thousand dollar cash stipend prizes exclusively. For bartenders, all you got to do, and I know there's bartenders that listen to this, so this is all you got to do, guys and gals. You got to enter by simply creating an original cognac cocktail. Then you visit cognacconnection.com. Again, that's cognacconnection.com for the details and to enter your cocktail recipe. Then we're going to pick a 10 recipes and some people are going to win. People, it's super easy. The deadline is September 7th. Like, get it in. Enter your cocktail. Zach, tell your people. Erica, tell your people. Let's make awesome cognac cocktails. Let's change people's perception when it comes to cognac, right? It is delicious in cocktails. Everybody knows this, or everyone should know this. So if you have a great cognac cocktail, just make it and then enter it at cognacconnection.com. And with that, guys, what's going on? Well, I, I will say that my favorite part of the New York Times article was uh, the recognition that we have, quote unquote, enjoyably strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm going to make an enjoyably strong cognac cocktail. <laughs> you know, cognac cocktails are delicious. I mean, first of all, I think I did a really awesome riff on that ad read. I just want you guys to know <laughs> I'm very pleased with myself on this one. Um, yeah, I, I think cognac is delicious in, co- in cocktails. I think it, it's it's an, an often forgotten, uh, you know, spirit for a lot of people, although it's making, uh, it's having a massive resurgence. I mean, just the amount of people who are consuming cognac in quarantine is insane. Um, you know, if you look at any of the Nielsen data, it's, it's pretty in- incredible in terms of what's happening there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so people love cognac and you should be drinking it in cocktails. And if you, you know, want to make cocktails, you should as well. I tried to tell this to Erica and she just told me all she wants is a snifter of cognac by the fire. So I drink it straight. I drink it straight. I mean, don't I mean, get me wrong. Look, I will, I will take a sidecar. I will enjoy a sidecar. I like a, a Vucre, what, you know, whatnot. There, there's a lot of good cocktails out there, but I just, I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to cognac or Armagnac or Calvados. Like those are the ones that I really, those are my savoring spirits. Those are the ones I like playing. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I like, I do like complain as well. I like sipping them. There's something that feels very like refined about it. You know, you feel like a real adult. If that makes sense. <laughs> like, wow, it like, kind of like, does. It feels contemplative. Yeah. I can't, I can't tell if it feels more like I'm an adult or more like I'm a plutocrat, which isn't necessarily a feeling <laughs> I'm looking for. Uh, I think you'd make a good plutocrat. <laughs> well, <laughs> 
I'm gonna I'm gonna just move on because uh, <laughs> I don't want to know anyways, why that is. I uh, neither do I. I just was thinking about it, and I was like, that'd be funny to say. <laughs> um, so, so, anyways, uh, peeps, you know how was how was my your week as a break from me? Was it good? Were you enjoy, did you enjoy it? Were you like, God, let's not tell Adam we're recording today? <laughs> <laughs> I. I, I have to say we we missed the dynamic of the three. I do think that three is the perfect formula in this particular cocktail. <laughs> I agree. Oh, equal parts, Erica, or what? Yeah. <laughs> equal parts, although I will say there is occasionally a dominant flavor. <laughs> You're talking about Zach, right? <laughs> I feel like that's just because I edit them this way. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I guess we are like a Negroni, I suppose. That's a, yeah. that's a good way to describe us. Uh, well, I the way a classic Negroni should be made. Yeah. <laughs> now, now this this raises the question, who's the Campari, who's the gin, and who's the vermouth? I call Campari. Fine, then I'm gin. All right, I'll be the vermouth. That's fine. I don't think that that suits your personality, though. Ah, uh, you got lots of feelings about my personality. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what, what am I, then? Am I, like, Amaro? Are we going with, like, a dark Negroni here? Ooh. Yeah, you're Amaro. That that works. Okay. That, that works. Work. All right. You know where I got to go on vacation, which was amazing. On my way back from Virginia, we stopped in Lancaster, which we've we wrote about uh-huh. recently. Uh, and I I went to Luca. Ooh. And you know, they have like one of the best Amaro lists on the East Coast. And I've gotta say, it was awesome. Um, you know, and it was it felt really good to support, you know, another restaurant that we've written about before. But it was also really cool to finally see in person this list. Um, and it's just super deep, um, really geeky. It was really cool. And, you know, it was also interesting because I was talking to him because, I mean, you know, Lancaster's a million population city uh, in Pennsylvania, but like it's not San Francisco, LA, or really San Francisco or New York where Amaro has become super geeky and people have been really into it. And I was like, you know, people into the list, like how often is it ordered? Like, oh my God, all the time. You know, like people just, once we introduce them to it, then they want to come back and explore, which I thought was really cool and kind of a testament to like, you know, if you, if you do things and you educate the guest about what it is on the list and, and why they should be potentially interested in it in an accessible way and you make it feel fun for them, you know, then they'll come back and keep ordering it and trying because you didn't make it feel intimidating. Like, oh, you've never heard of Amara before? Well, ugh, sorry, then you're probably not into this. This is from like this really little village in Italy that if you've never heard of before, then you're never going to drink. Then you just shouldn't drink it. You know, like they're very cool about it. And I, I thought it was an awesome list. That's that's awesome. What was the scene like there? Were there people, was it indoor dining, outdoor dining or just outdoor? So it was really interesting because uh, obviously I'm used to only dining in New York. I don't know, Eric, if it's different in Jersey. And then Zach, you have to correct me. You have to tell us what's like in Seattle. In New York, obviously, right, it's just outdoor. So you basically, you you make your reservation, you sit down. In Pennsylvania, you make the reservation, you have to sit in your car, you have to text them when you get there, right? And then you have to sit in your car with your party. And this was apparently like, I thought this might have just been a Luca thing, but then my mother-in-law was telling me that this happens like, this is a lot of restaurants in the area. So they text you when your table's ready. And we wanted to be outside. They do have indoor, but like we did not want to be indoor. I still feel – I think New York's kind of like made me feel like indoor is not okay. You know, I know that everyone's doing it. So I was like, we're outdoor. No, no way. So then you show up and they take every single person's temperature and they ask for every single person's name and phone number. So wow. they're actually doing contact tracing. Wow. Which I thought was really interesting and like a little weird, obviously, to do right before you sit down for dinner. But I also kind of, you know, it was actually my father-in-law's first 
night dining out since the whole pandemic and it made him feel really comfortable like oh okay like they have it down like they're actually checking people like cool i feel okay and then the tables were really well spaced very similar to new york like they let them extend their patio so they had you know a front patio in front of the restaurant there now have tables on the sidewalk and even like some in the street so you know the city obviously being really liberal in terms of allowing restaurants to try to make up as much um, square footage as possible, but you know they had really clear callouts on their menu, which I also hadn't seen before. That had ba- they basically said, you know, we really love having you back. We're really happy to be back. Please understand, we are not at full capacity. This is not enough for us to sustain ourselves. Please continue to order takeout when you can, which I thought was like really a smart move on their part, trying to say to people like, look, like just because now you're sitting here and dining with us doesn't mean that like we're okay. Right. Yeah. And they were, and they were definitely a skeleton crew, just like everywhere else I've been. Right? It was definitely they did not, they were not at full staff power. The dishes came out slower than they normally would. But again, like we were all okay with it. We like we understood, and we were there, and we rolled with it, and it was fine. Um, but you know, you did hear story, you do hear stories about people who weren't. But then I had a really crazy experience, you guys, like a really crazy experience. Do tell, tell us, please. So the next night, I was still in Pennsylvania, and one of. Uh, Naomi and my good friends, Lena, uh, is from the area, not from Lancaster. And that's not how we knew her. We met her in New York. Um, But she's from the area and her parents own a diner in York. And her uncle owns a really well-known seafood restaurant called Kima, like right outside of Lancaster. It's a really beautiful seafood restaurant. Uh, And he actually has a steakhouse next door. So they were like, do you want to go to his restaurant? He'd love to have you. Like he loves Vine Pear. Um, So – we went to the restaurant, we sat outside and you guys, this guy shows up in this really nice car. Uh, I'll just let you think it's, it was a European import. He gets out, not wearing a mask and he goes to the hostess stand and I see him confront the hostess and he's, she's like, I'm sorry, sir. We can't seat you unless you're wearing a mask. It's not only state policy, it's our policy. Like you, you don't have a mask on. Like, I want to speak to the owner. Who's the owner? And he sees that next door, the restaurant, the steakhouse is named Johnny's, which actually, um, you know, is named after the owner's father, right? So the owner walks over Elena's uncle and says, well, I'm Johnny. And he just gets in his face and starts screaming at him, Ew. saying, how dare you make me wear a mask? This is fascism. It was really crazy to watch. Wow. And like, so then when it, you know, when it's all over, Nick, who's Lena's uncle, comes over to the table. And I was like, how often does that happen? He's like, you'd be shocked. And I have to say, like, I, for everything else that everyone in the industry is going through, the thought that you have to deal with that, it was just really, really upsetting. You know, that there's just these people who just like, don't, just don't want to follow the rules and also just want to scream in your face and make you feel like a jerk. And then all he did is got in his car with his passenger who was sitting in the car, almost like they knew this was what was going to happen and drove away. You know, it, it's like they, they just came out to yell at somebody about a restriction that they don't agree with that is keeping everyone safe and is helping keep numbers down just to come out and yell at someone and then drove away with no intention probably of ever dining there. Like I almost wonder if they were just driving around looking for a restaurant that looked full, which it was. It was packed on a Sunday evening and just were looking to scream at somebody. And it's just really, really fucked up. And just really upsetting, which takes us into now, I guess, our conversation for this fall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, the fall. Well, it's funny. I was just thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about how one of the, one of the challenges 
that we're going through right now, and, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a moment, is like, for now, we are in the, we're in this period of time where things are, are, you know, even, even in the case that you mentioned, Adam, with the restaurant menu, it, it's a little bit superficial, but people, it looks vaguely sustainable, right? You know, you've got all this added seating capacity outdoors, you've got all this, you know, the ability for people to, to sprawl even into streets in some cases, but none of this can last. And, and I just, I think there's, you know, that, that screaming match is like one piece of the problem, but most of it is just, you know, we don't have a comprehensive plan for restaurants and bars that's going to work uh, for, for a winter, a fall and a winter that's not going to offer for most people in most places, a lot of options. Yeah. I mean, it's a situation where it's like, okay, yes, it's raining or snowing. Okay. There's no restaurants then because it, you know, at least in New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, where I've been all summer, you outdoor is the only, the only allowed type of dining. There is no indoor dining. So there's really just very few options for, uh, any kind of uh, restaurant operations or bar operations to be happening at all once the weather starts to turn. I mean, I think it's going to be really crazy. Like, uh, you know, just it's just going to totally depend on what what happens as the weather turns and how we're going to adjust for all these restaurants. Like, I think you know, there's been a, a much larger growing cry in New York for there to find New York city for there to finally be, you know, indoor dining opening up. Um, because I think for some restaurants, at least they'll have some revenue from that, but it's also not going to be enough. Um, or we have to, you know, lax restrictions on outdoor heat lamps, which I didn't realize, you know, a lot of people have banned because of fire code, right. Which makes sense in a lot of ways, but like, maybe we need to lax that fire code for now. Like, I don't know. How, I don't, Look, I don't know. I, I can't say I'm not educated enough to know how much of a fire risk they are. So I don't want to sound ignorant by saying like, we need to completely lax that restriction with, if maybe those things always catch things on fire and they're crazy fire hazard, but if they're not, and we just have them because they're a heat producing source and it's just like within the code to normally, you know, restrict them. We need to make those restrictions eased because people will sit outside still because they're eager to be out of their homes in November, even early December, if there are heat lamps. But they're not going yeah. to if they have to freeze. And I think the other problem we come across is this like unfortunate, really brutal truth, which is the more you make a place comfortable, the more you make it feel more like indoors, the less safe it is from a COVID standpoint. So, you know, you put a you put a tarp or, or some sort of other kind of canopy over the top to keep rain out. Well, now you're not getting the same benefit of airflow that you're getting outdoors during the summer. You start to put up things to keep wind and, and even possibly rain out on the sides. Again, now you're just building an indoor, you're just putting people in a tent, which isn't safe. And and so heat is a part of it. But but the reality is, I just I think in most parts of this country, for a good portion of the late fall and, and winter and early spring, you know, there's just not going to be a safe, purely from a COVID standpoint, a safe way to dine out because or at least if you do it's going to have to be you know at the same low kind of uh density as, as is possible in most places where where indoor dining is permitted uh, i just again i i just think we're we're at this point where we've we've bought ourselves some time uh as an industry with with it being summer but but there's just still no I haven't yet seen an answer. I haven't yet seen a solution that looks like it will even allow for a lot of the places that are still open now to make it through November, December, January, February without having to shut down. 
Right. And I haven't seen any updates on uh, bailout money or any other support for restaurants or bars. Like it just seems to have gotten into the muddy mess of uh, what's happening with, um, you know, the bigger sort of funding picture. And it just, there seems to be no developments at all. Um, So I think, you know, we're just starting to see the next wave of closures uh, start to come down the pike as restaurateurs and bars are just realizing like, hey, this is probably not, there's not, until there's a vaccine, there's probably not going to be many very very good options. Yeah, I just, I I don't, it's just, it's, yeah, I, I think it's crazy because we don't have enough in terms of clarity from the government as to what they're going to do. And I think that that's, that's really the only thing that we can hope for right now is the government is ultimately going to step up. I know there's a bunch of people who are starting to make even more noise than they were in the past about getting government assistance and trying to you know sound the alarm. But you know, I think we need more of that, right? We need more people really being very loud about what's going to happen if we get into fall and a lot of these restaurants aren't able to operate at a close to normal capacity. And if that, if that's the case, then aren't going to get government assistance because we're going to, we're going to lose a lot of jobs. And then if we lose a lot of jobs, we're going to have a lot of issues with people being out of work and an economy that could bounce back more quickly, not being able to, that's what I don't understand is how we don't understand that as a country, right? That like part of us getting out of this means that people, there's less people unemployed when it all ends. (laughs) Right. If there's more people unemployed, it takes longer for those people to then find. There's not just going to be all of a sudden a ton, of, a ton of people that are going to be eager to open brand new restaurants. You know, like oh, you know, I've, I've had this amazing three Michelin star concept. I've just been always been dying to open. Adam, I'm really curious, and, and Erica too, of course, uh, to your thoughts on this because one of the big questions that I have is, you know, if we think that all these closures are going to, you know, this next wave of closures is coming or has already begun. And will only probably intensify as the weather worsens. I, I do wonder, you know, there's still obviously demand, or there will be demand in the in the general population for for some kind of food and drink that they don't make at home. And I'm wondering, you know, like we don't. I don't know that anyone has a great handle yet on what all that means. We've certainly talked about, you know, the desire for more accessibility for people to get, you know, wine, beer, spirits direct to consumer, you know, sent to their house. But, but I think, you know, one of the questions I have is sort of like, are we going to have a sort of a new idea of what food and beverage service is like in a in a community? And and, and I don't know, I have a few thoughts of my own, but I'm curious if, if you guys have, have any thoughts on that. I think the, the thing for me that I think could be interesting about the fall is I'm really curious to see, first of all, we now don't know what's going to happen with sports, obviously, you know. Again, what is happening in this country is absolutely despicable in terms of what just happened in Wisconsin. And, you know, with, with the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, when we're recording this on Thursday, August 27th, you know, deciding not to play and the NBA season, you know, remaining in doubt, who knows, but all signs do point that we're going to have football this fall. And we do know that across the board, even though we've had NBA, we, we've had some major league baseball, um, but I'm going to go on record and say baseball is super boring. Um you know, we have major league soccer, et cetera. We, th- those aren't sports that for the most part, people do really think about gathering together and watching at bars in the same way. I mean, I think in certain cities, there's, there's a little bit of that culture, but not in the same way as with football, right? Both with college and you have three major conferences that are still saying they're going to play. 
And then you have the NFL, right? Which is basically saying it's going to play no matter what, which I guess it can because it makes so much money that it'll pay the players in order to you know convince them to play. That I'm curious about because I do wonder if we're going to start seeing, Zach, certain places get creative with how they still broadcast those games, right? And still – because you just – there's – it's – as much as we're like, oh, more people are watching sports at home. Yes, but there is a culture in every city where these sports exist where people like to go to a bar or to a gastropub or whatever and sit for the entire day of Sunday and eat bar food and drink. And you cannot replicate in this, in that in the same way at home. And I do wonder if we'll start seeing people putting projectors outside, trying as best as they can to to recreate that in some sort of way to bring people in. That will be very interesting to me. Yeah, I think we are going to see more of that. I think both at bars uh, with outdoor spaces, um, but also in people's backyards and at parks and so forth. So, you know, I've already seen, um, you know, and this may just be uh, my friend set, which is the Frozen friend set, for example, with children. Um, <laughs> but but a lot of people are investing in these outdoor projectors that you can just have, you know, you can um, project it against your wall and have like movie screenings or sports um events and you know like we have the u.s open coming up next week we have the kentucky derby on september 5th um i think these kind of like small gatherings um at home and i'm like even resistant to call them parties but you know like we had a big conversation about how we were going to cover the kentucky derby this year were we going to suggest that like people have big parties or go to, you know, any sort of events are happening? Well, we couldn't really find any events that were happening and we aren't really comfortable saying like have a party, but we are going to put together something about how to do a uh, Kentucky Derby gathering at your house of, for a small, you know, set of friends type thing, because I think people are looking for entertainment. They want to have uh, reasons to come together and, you know, making mint juleps while you watch a horse race is as good as any. Um, and that's just the tradition we have in this country. So whether it's the NBA or the NFL or golf or, you know, tennis or what have you, you know, people have this need of wanting to come together and that's not going to stop. So what does that mean? Does that mean it's happening in uh, yards and parks? Does it mean we're going to see kind of speakeasy type uh um, gatherings happening at bars that aren't, you know, totally licensed. Like I, you know, I don't know. Um, but I think that it's going to happen regardless. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. I think that that is a, a really great point that the desire for congregating and, and congregating around these specific events is going to be hugely impactful. I'm just wondering, you know, like I, maybe they're already working on this, but I, but I feel like one thing that, uh, that could be a, a part of this too is, is a sort of, you know, in the same way that Adam was talking about the idea of I'm going to spend a whole a whole Sunday at a bar watching the games with my friends or whatever. I, I wonder if, you know, that might not be an option, but like kind of what if you what if you're a, a, a bar restaurant or whatever that that sort of has like, uh, you know, we're going to deliver like, you know, we're going to give you like three deliveries during the day. Right. Because I feel like that one of those things that's a big part of it for me when I when I would do that would be like you know, you kind of get your whatever, your wings at the, you know, to start and your nachos and your whatever, you know, burger. And then you apparently die because that's a really horrible day <laughs> of dining. Uh, but I wasn't, what can I say? I was like 23. I feel like, you know, like finding ways to fit your offerings and, and even maybe like your 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 beverage offerings kind of around those, what people often are already doing and, and may have to relocate to their house, but, but could at least keep, 
keep some of that sense of it. I don't know. I, I'm just thinking out loud here, so I apologize. But uh, but I think there's, you know, part of it is like is, is finding the ways that we can in that, you know, dealing with the very the very unusual circumstances with a little bit of normalcy might be a really good business idea. I think so. I mean, I think trying to figure out as best you can how, yeah, you make it feel normal for people is going to be pretty big. I mean, I think – and people figured this out this summer too, right? I think we thought, oh my gosh, what's the summer going to be like? Is it going to be the same? And I think for a lot of people, it has felt weirdly familiar. It's felt like summer. You know what I mean? Like it hasn't felt like uh, the summer of 2019 or 10 summers prior, you know, the 10 summers prior to that. But it still felt like summer, and I think it still will feel like fall as long as people continue to be creative. Like, look, guys, like, you know how I feel about this, even though Keith, for those of you that listen to the Wine 101 podcast, defamed me this week. I do not like pumpkin spice. (laughs) But pumpkin spice, even though he said I did, but pumpkin spice will continue to come out and is going to come out, right? People are going to still play with fall flavors. Like, we are all going to start thinking about drinking you know, cocktails that have whiskey in it and bourbon in it and well, bourbon is whiskey and cognac and <laughs> things like that, right? We're, we're going to, that, that's going to happen again, just like it happened for in the summer. I, I think that's, that. I feel more confident about that than I did three months ago, right? Because we hadn't had a transition from COVID into a new season, right? We all went into COVID, you know, in like this weird kind of winterish, springish, ish and no one really knew what was happening. And so all we did was like pantry load and bake sourdough bread <laughs> and put on the COVID-19 and, you know, stock up on as much alcohol as possible. But then we transitioned to summer and everything started to feel like summer. And I think the same is going to happen in fall, which is which is going to be weird, but could be really interesting, especially if we allow some of these laws to stay relaxed so that restaurants can take advantage of that weird yet still similar transition. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, given I think one of my biggest concerns about uh, just we have restaurants closed, we have bars closed and going into fall, like what is it that we at Vine Pair, what is it that we as professionals can help consumers do? The thing that I keep on coming back to is this question of discovery. So like there are you know, massive, there's been massive spikes, massive spikes for all the big brands like the Josh Sellers and the Casamigos and the Bud Lights and on all of the ordering platforms. But the thing that we still haven't solved for yet, because restaurants and bars are closed, is how do you help consumers discover these smaller brands, whether they're wine or beer or spirits. And so that that element of discovery is something that I think like we are going to lean into this fall at Vine Pair and just help people find uh, these smaller brands. Because I feel like if we don't do our part in trying to help consumers find these small brands, like we are going to, there's going to be even more of these companies that close. So like one of the things, just for example, that that we're doing, uh, we started this fun thing called the $250 case challenge. So we're asking Psalms and wine professionals to put together an entire 12 bottle case for 250 of the best bottles they can curate from a national retailer. So um, do you guys know uh, Philippe Andre, who's the brand ambassador at Charles Heidsick? Uh, I don't. He's amazing. Um, a totally hilarious, cool guy. He put he 
accepted our challenge and we said, okay, put together a case from Total Wine. Like we are just going to go from retailer to retailer, national retailer to national retailer and put together the coolest bottles that you can find, the best case you can put together. Um, And at first he was like, oh, you are crazy. And then we were like, please, will you do it? And he like got on board and got all excited and figured out what are the best 12 bottles I can buy at that, you know, for that uh, total amount. Um, and he has recommended some amazing bottles. This is going to come out in about a week from now. And so we're going to go from retailer to retailer because I think one of the key things that is frustrating the hell out of me and is frustrating the hell out of pretty much every wine and spirits buyer that I know is that how do I buy it? You know, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard from uh, listeners and readers like, hey, they're psyched to try this thing that we've recommended, but then they can't find it online. And the existing platforms that are out there are not great. And so as a consumer, I think it's super frustrating to buy, especially for me, buying wine online. And so, you know, we're not a retailer, but we can help consumers, um, by telling them about cool bottles they can actually buy. And I think like helping to solve that through a variety of articles that we're going to be doing, um, which is about like, we have a cool one coming out about like limited edition whiskey releases, like a whole slate of content around discovery. And I think helping people solve that problem is going to like lead to a better (laughs) fall for a lot of people who are going to be stuck inside and bored. And they don't want to be buying the same crap that they're buying on wine.com all the time. Oh, I was just going to say that I think that that Erica's point is a really good one, and it and it feeds back into this problem that we have, uh, or that we're going to be facing with with restaurants being much less uh, able to be that point of discovery. I mean, it's already been greatly diminished because of COVID, and then maybe a little bit, uh, you know, we've been floating along with with patios and outdoor dining, and maybe you can get reintroduced to some new things in that in that capacity. But but yeah, I mean, this is why we've been, you know, we, all these conversations kind of feed in into and off of one another in that like. We are we are facing a crisis, uh, many many crises in this country, of course, but but in a very narrow way, in a very specific way for us. Yeah, there's this crisis of consolidation in the industry where you know so much of the purchasing, especially in times like this, is is run through a few narrow channels, and those channels are largely dominated by large brands and large distributors. And so, yeah, I'm I'm excited to to hear that that uh, you know that that obviously we are interested in continuing to try and provide people with some alternatives, or at least if you're going to work within those, those big national channels, at least giving you some options that are not the, the sort of staid set of options that, that dominate those shelves in a lot of cases. So, I mean, again, I'm glad, I think it's very true that there's a lot of, of desire for, for people to continue to discover and, and maybe to bring this also a little full circle, those, those kinds of gatherings around a sporting event or other event or opportunities for, you know, you listeners out there to showcase to your friends who may not be as interested in discovery as you are, some of the things that you have discovered, discovered, whether it's with our help or, or someone else's help. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's possibility here, but it's going to take work for sure. Yeah. You know where, where to reach us, podcast at com. You can tell us, uh, you know, what you have been drinking. Yeah. I think it's, it's going to, the fall could be, is going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. I think we're going to see, you know, how everything evolves and will we, will people continue to discover more things? I think we saw in the summer that people did, you know, people turn to, to new, back to old friends, maybe old cocktails they hadn't made in a while. They also started making new cocktails. Uh, they, you know, we see that people really jumped on board with a diff- different kinds of wines and things like that. So 
I think that discovery hopefully will continue uh, and hopefully people will, will find it easier to do with new tools like the, the column that Erica is discussing that we're launching. Um, because, you know, I think we have to go into the fall as positive as possible. Right. I, I, if not, it's just going to be all doom and gloom of like, well, you know, we had these these three months of at least sunshine and warmth and everyone going to the beach and whatever. And now we're back to like those those months in COVID. And like, I hope that we can go in a little bit po- as positive as possible, especially because this this election season is going to be brutal. Yeah, there's there's enough negativity that's going to be out there. It's going to be brutal. So, you know, if we can, then hopefully, you know, we can, we can make it out of this thing, you know, as soon as possible. And I think, you know, we all have to be really be advocates for, you know, the restaurants and bars that are, you know, struggling, try to help them as much as you can talk to your law, you know, your lawmakers, you know, encourage them, encourage them, encourage them to, you know, set up funding for them. Because if not, you're, people are going to get desperate. You know, it's interesting. Like I, you guys know I'm from a college town and like I've, I've seen recently because the college town I'm from has opened back up and I'm nervous about it because my parents are still down there, even though they're, they're now retired from being professors. Um, but you know, this one bar over the weekend was packed, you know, way, way over capacity. And I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to think that the bar owner is a bad actor. I mean, I want to think that the bar owner is just at this point desperate they need to make money and no one else is helping them. You know, if it's a lot easier to follow the regulations, if people are helping you and no one's really reaching out. So we, you know, help as much as you can, because if not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a a, a beautiful, lovely fall. Right. And I I think also, you know, I was looking at uh, the state liquor authority just for New York and already 162 businesses, liquor licenses have been suspended. Um, there's been like 900 other violations. Like, I, I think that, you know, for the operators that are open, they are really desperate. And they are, you know, if you look, run down and look at the list of the violations, it's for indoor bar service, walk up bar service, which is not allowed, no mask enforcement, groups of people not socially distanced. I mean, you know, operators are doing what they can just to stay afloat. And sometimes that means that they're taking chances that maybe they, maybe they shouldn't be, but it's a desperate situation. It is. And I think the other thing too, that we, I mean, this is now totally off topic, but one of my other pet peeves is when your server comes to your table, put your fucking mask on. Yeah. I've seen so many servers that I'm friends with on Instagram, et cetera, saying like, it's just at this point, like, it's ridiculous. You know, it, it's they are wearing theirs to protect you. You should wear yours out of courtesy to protect them. It's just come on. You know, I get it. If they surprise you out of nowhere with, you know, water or whatever, if it's, you know, you're like, oh, oh and then you have to quickly throw it on. Fine. But like when you're ready to order and you see them walking over to your table, put your mask on. You know, show them the same courtesy that they're showing you and that they legally have to show you and you should legally have to show them. That's all. That's my other pet peeve. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you're not really much better than that guy who drove up to the fit, to the seafood restaurant and screamed at the hostess. Exactly. You're just, a little, really you're just a little quieter. Right. You're just a little quieter and you just, okay, fine. You wore it to get, you know, to get seated, but then you're like, <laughs> all bets are off. Like the COVID doesn't go away just because you've been seated at your table, right? Everyone's aware yeah. of it. It's, and if we all are aware of it, then the, then the numbers will stay low. So just be, you know, be courteous and also show them a little, you know, gratitude and, be a good person, be a kind person, because it's really, really stressful what they're doing. And they're doing it because they also need to make a living. And they have a job that doesn't allow them to work from home. 
Very true. And we'll get through this fall, you guys. It'll be great. I'm really excited about fall, actually. Uh, really it's going to be a it. weird one, but it, but uh, but hopefully some good. I always like fall. But yeah, I agree. You, are a, you are definitely a fall guy. I believe that 100%. Yeah, I think summer's my favorite season, but I would say fall's a close second. Fall is my favorite. I love fall. Fall's great. I'm a spring guy, but that's just me. Really? I think it's because I don't. It's because I don't find baseball boring. I love baseball. Oh, baseball's <laughs> so boring. But that explains a lot about you. <laughs> Were you like the kid who like t- took stats, like kept stats of the players? Uh, <laughs> you totally I'm not, did. I'm not gonna say no. Yeah, <laughs> I just never could get into baseball. I think it is so boring. Well, you know, it's it's for refined palates only. It's the it's sort of the it's sort of the cognac of. Uh, of sports when you're when you're an adult adam then you will appreciate it well you know what it's really amazing how you just brought it full circle into our ad bartenders enter the cognac connection challenge to win a one thousand dollar cash stipend deadline september 7th go to cognacconnection.com to enter and for details zach is now going to submit a cognac baseball themed cognac cocktail (laughs) hey if anyone does that if anyone does that I may, I may, I may have to, we'll push you up. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well guys, with that being said, uh, it's been another fun one uh, and we'll see everyone back here next week. See you then. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.